Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so excited today to be talking about the fantastic new Netflix series, Queen Charlotte. We are joined today by director and executive producer Tom Verica, executive producer Betsy Beers, along with cast members India Amartifio, Corey Milchrist, Arsima Thomas, Golda Rochevel, Sam Clement, and Freddie Dennis. And Betsy, in, in starting with you, I wanted to talk a little bit about finding the tone and the voice of, of this particular show, because it has so much of the fabric that we've come to know from the world of Bridgerton that carries across and creates this really wonderful linear thread. And yet it also has such a distinct voice and tonality, particularly with the themes and topics that it's exploring in its own world. And so I was interested in, in the development stages, um, how you really found that, that mix of what felt right to carry across into the world of Queen Charlotte um, and what you wanted to create as kind of new entities within the tone and the voice of the show? Obviously, it's incredibly important to us that Queen Charlotte is part of the Bridgerton world. It is a prequel for the whole Bridgerton series. It's this incredible, incredible view and sort of window in on all these, these different aspects of the Bridgerton world that we're just not exposed to in Bridgerton. And in terms of how this whole thing began, Ted Sarandos came to Chanda at one point when Bridgerton was launched and it was being responded to so gigantically by people. And there was so much enthusiasm in the world for the character of Queen Charlotte. Um, and he said, wouldn't it be great if there was a, if we understood how this amazing character came to be, this gigantically important, impressive, um, funny, deep character who basically rules this world, where did that come from? And I think it got Shonda's brain going in terms of, okay, so what did the world look like that the original Queen Charlotte started in? And that opened up this box of telling the story of how the ton as we saw it in Bridgerton was created. And I think that was very, very important to her to sort of set that table. And also just to, to, to understand essentially not only where Queen Charlotte came from, but the origin stories then of Lady Danbury, of Lady Violet Bridgerton, and actually as importantly, Brimsley, who is, you know, a character who we love and who we, we kind of take for granted in a weird way in Bridgerton, but one of the things I love about the series is that he's a character that all of a sudden comes to the fore of the storytelling in this show as well. I love that so much. And and Tom, I wanted to to talk about the the visual language and how you worked to really conceptualize the visual language of the show in a way that always kind of really services and enhances the story and the emotion that we're seeing on screen. For example, I love the way that it's almost like there's more opulence um, in some of the moments where we see Charlotte becoming more and more isolated from the fact that George is off in the other property on the grounds and she's not seeing him. And it's like, mm -hmm. but she's filled with all this incredible scenery around her. And it really just works to highlight the sense of isolation and loneliness. And so I was interested in how you worked to really craft a lot of visual language in that sort of manner. Well, we were, uh, again, blessed with a phenomenal script. I think we were given permission, uh, in contrast to Bridgerton, being kind of Bridgerton adjacent, this really uh, launches into Queen Charlotte and, uh, you know, what Golda has done with his role and, and kind of really blew the door wide open from Bridgerton. Uh, we see her in kind of a, a much more linear 
thing. I think in the current day, Bridgerton, uh, with moments of, of diving into that. So we really dive deep into uh, this character, uh, both in present day Bridgerton and in the Georgian era with uh, with young Charlotte. So I think the, the that personal journey really opened up the visual language as to, you know, one of my favorite images just in, in, in seeing the, the pilot again last night is uh, India as young Charlotte is alone in the bed and really kind of uh, I remember just keep pushing, telling our, our DP, let's go. I want to go back further. I want to really feel her loneliness in this this huge castle. Uh, it really, there's so many um, scenes that are so rich with what each of these characters are going through. And that's ultimately has to drive the visual. You can't force it. I find myself getting, the, you know, removed when someone's forcing style uh, if the story isn't supporting it. So I think that coupled with, the ridiculous locations that we have in England uh, in these trust houses and, and particular in Blenheim Palace, which was um, uh, which was really part of what this series was, which we never had in Bridgerton, really became the the rock bed of, of not only the two different worlds of, um, of, Buck, of what we played as Buckingham House and then as Kew Gardens and uh, in, a, in another trust house that we, we filmed that. So those really gave us permission to do that and then again the the psychology of what each of these characters are going through enabled us to really play um and and what you know george is going through as well that we really uh were able to sort of take some license with that because the the script supported that that's really wonderful and india and coming over to you what i what's so beautiful about watching the the version of charlotte that you've created is it, it has ties to Golda's interpretation of the character, but yet it's a different version. You know, she's able to be more outward, more external, more reactive because she's new coming into a world of being so heavily observed and watched by everyone around her, you know, and she's going through such a journey of self-discovery and finding herself. And I've heard you say that you found her to be an incredibly expressive character, um, but also one that really carries through on a lot of her actions. And so I was interested in how you really worked to find this Ray specific place for your interpretation of her at that particular age and that point in her life that's so externally expressive and and then how that really influenced a lot of the actions and motion that then came into play in your performance as well yeah I think you hit the nail on the head there with just her age she's 17 so you know at 17 we're all lost we we're all trying to discover who we are um, that was kind of the foundations or the baseline of creating her was just a young woman trying to navigate her way, not just through life, but then, you know, this added pressure of um, society and um, a new society, a new social status um, and moving incredibly high up, but, you know, the class mobility that she kind of um, has to jump to is, is, you know, moving mountains almost. Um, on top of that, you know, it's just like layering this this person and, and is is really, you know, is, is great in creating characters, having these layers. But then on top of that, you've then got, um, you know, the fact that she's joining the monarchy. Then the fact that she's coming into a society that doesn't see her as an equal, um, even though she herself is also doesn't see herself as an equal. So it, there's just a multitude of different, um, you know, experiences she's going through at the same time alongside just growing up um which has has been an absolute joy to be able to play um 
I think a lot of a lot of times um, leading characters can be quite um, monolithic and very kind of um, straight because they drive the narrative and and the characters around them and you know um, the kind of ensemble around them are they kind of chime in and give them the color almost and and create the vibrancy and the, the bulk they bulk up the story. But what's really great with um, Charlotte. And I think also um, for Corey as well, leading man in this, is that the characters are so complex um, and they themselves have such a journey that we see them go through. Um, yeah, it's been it's been incredible. Um, and it's only been able to be done with, you know, such an amazing cast and crew and having gold to kind of forefront this all as well has been, um, yeah, it, it, it just incredibly um instrumental in in being my, me being able to do my job yeah no and you're absolutely right there's there's so much complexity in all of the characters and and for you Corey in in that regard as well there's so many different layers that you've had to really think about in terms of how you've stepped into playing George you know there's the what does it look like when he is at different spaces and different levels of lucidity and and how that informs your performance and then there's the emotional impact of the mental side of everything that he's going through and then the physical elements like when he's got tremors or when it's just the stress of everything folding in on him and it feels like the entire world is closing in on him and so I was interested in how you really worked to to figure out the different elements of you know his struggles with lucidity the emotional impact that has and then how that expresses itself physically because it's really this kind of triple prong that approach that you've had to create what a question um i mean uh actually so much of it is uh being in the very capable hands of of, of tom and actually because most of those scenes happen actually with either india or, or freddie um and 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 being in in their hands because um all of those moments are uh unique and different and it and it depends so much on what uh what has Thomas just told me or or what India has just said or the, or a look on Freddie's face or you know um in terms of the lucidity the only way that you can do that is by you know it, it, in the moments where George is not lucid uh he unless he's bridging that gap, he's just about to step into that world, he is not aware that he's not lucid. And so those, that's a, it's an absolute truth to him. So it's very simple, really. You just completely 110% commit to that reality. And then coming, coming out of it, there's, there's a, there's a, a wealth of shame um, and, and self-hatred and embarrassment um, and sometimes denial with, with, with Charlotte uh and that's a pretty universal uh experience thing we've all hated ourselves we've all felt shame you know so that that's that's quite an easy thing to uh understand and then to 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 play into uh into george and and in terms of the tremors understanding where they came from for me that was like um you know here's a man who since his childhood i mean he's he's been abused by his grandfather he's he's had to be silenced basically you know, and voiceless uh, for decades. And he has all of this unexpressed pain. And it, you know, with all of us, you know, like our bodies keep the score. Uh, it has to come out somewhere. And and if that turns up in in a moment of anxiety and panic and and it starts in the hand or it starts in, in the neck, but that's often the, the, the beginning of a bridge to not being so lucid. 
Um, and so they, they it didn't it never felt like uh, here's a here's three things and let me hit, you know it felt very much like a, you know like a Pollock painting uh, and then Tom could help me be specific uh, and so could so could the cast because it was it was all about them in that moment unless it was all about the the truth of the image that George is seeing. Yeah, that's really really wonderful and and Golda and coming over to you it's. I love the experience of getting to watch this exploration of a character that we've gotten to know certain aspects of, but getting to see so many more of the private moments and who she is behind closed doors, who she is with her children and all of those aspects. And I was I was really fascinated in the journey for you as a performer in that unique space of taking a character that you've developed so fully, that you've built so many rich details into over two seasons, and then almost going through this journey of rediscovery where suddenly you have these scripts that give you so many more elements of backstory where I imagine some of them lined up with things that you had created for yourself and some of them might've been a little bit different of what you'd imagined for aspects of her past as well at the same time and just really kind of rediscovering and, and finding so many more layers and textures to a character that you already have such an intimate relationship with from the time that you've spent with her already. Yeah. Um, it was an extraordinary experience because in Bridgerton, there's a, lot, there's a lot of imagination that I have to do. There's a lot of kind of backstory that I have to do. You know, there's layers of thinking about George um, uh, uh, in certain scenes. And I make kind of sure that that aspect, that layer is there all the time in Bridgerton. Going into Queen Charlotte, having 13 children physically in front of you, you know, the physical informs the imagination. And at the time I was filming Bridgerton and Queen Charlotte at the same time. So it was this amazing, extraordinary journey of using, discovering one thing that then I could take into the other thing and leaving one thing behind because it didn't help me into the other thing. So there was this real dance that I was having to do, you know, literally Tuesday, I would be filming Bridgerton and Wednesday I would be in Queen Charlotte. And the kind of layers, like, I kind of describe it as a kind of knickerbocker glory, do you know what I mean? Those kind of layers of strawberry and fruit and then cream and biscuit and it was just topping, 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 this beautiful, gorgeous dessert that in the end was, you know, just quite exhausting sometimes, but really thrilling. You know, we've started Queen Charlotte, I think, in Blenheim and in March last year. And I finished Queen. No, I finished Bridgerton in Blenheim March this year. So it was just like a whole beautiful roller coaster of discovering this character again and again and again and again. And the writing well, yeah, lent itself to that quite extraordinarily. I love that. And and Arsima, in talking about your iteration of, of Lady Danbury in her earlier years, what I love is that there's this real foundation of, of who we see in her as a character in the early episodes. And then after the passing of her husband, that sense of, well, who am I if I'm breathing my own air, if I'm choosing what book I'm going to read? And, and you know, just that, that sense of awakening that she starts describing and really looking for and thriving upon. And so how did you set about finding the initial foundation of, of who you thought she was and then looking at if all of a sudden all of these things which have been pushed upon her for so much of her life are suddenly stripped away, who does she then become in that space and what does that journey look like? Um, so I think, I mean, gosh, the script, can we say it one more time for like yeah. the 
for the back. The script does so much amazing work. Our director does an amazing job in like helping us stay present. But I think what I personally tried to kind of hone in on was what is it like to be in this situation where you're essentially imprisoned and not be angry about it, not be bitter, not want to constantly like smack your husband across the face when he says something foolish. Um, and it made me realize that I had to do a lot of interviewing. Um, so I talked with my mother. I talked with, I talked with my mother who then told me that my grandmother had been in an arranged marriage when she was seven uh, years old and she ran away. Uh, and then she was in another arranged marriage when she was 13 years old. Um, and that marriage uh, is, with, was, is with my grandfather. Um, and so to be able to talk to her about what that was like, because she, we talk about this idea of duty and it's so difficult because in this day and age, we're not, it's, it's not as necessary, you know? We are able to kind of choose for ourselves what we want. And so what does it mean to get into the headspace of somebody who has never, ever been able to do that? That's not even a option in her mind. Um, and it, 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 it took, yeah, getting, garnering empathy for my grandmother's situation, understanding what it's like to just kind of keep it pushing be happy and to make do with what you have. And then to be able to kind of crack her open and allow her to have the freedom of choice, it felt like I was cosmically giving this gift back to my grandmother that she couldn't have and to my mother that she, she couldn't have. And so it felt freeing, not only as an actor to kind of be able to say what your character has been thinking, but then also on a personal level to kind of just like let the waterfall just flow of, you know, being able to say these very cutting things to, you know, to the, to the dowager princess, to be able to, you know, hold the queen accountable for her actions. I think there is, I, I was just blessed to be able to have balance in this character. I think knowing that she would have that beautiful moment of, freedom made me savor the moments of imprisonment a bit more and to kind of yeah not take them for granted as much if that makes sense it does and Sam and coming over to you and talking about Brimsley it's it, it's interesting to watch him in the space of of who he wants to be for Charlotte and the line to which he can be that person for Charlotte I think one of the most beautiful moments to watch is when she's crying in front of him with her back on him and your hand is just kind of reached out but he can't physically touch her because that would be going beyond his station and position and there's so many moments of that with him not being able to say or do the thing that he wants to do for her and so it's kind of this cross-section of who he is and how much of himself he can actually show at any time as well and so how did you work to kind of think well, who is Brimsley in his fullest self? And then who does he have to be when he's in these spaces? Because that's so much of his day-to-day -day in his world. Yeah, it was it was a constant line we were sort of having to tread. And I would always ask Tom on set, you know, when, when can we push these boundaries? When can we try and have a little bit more of who, the more personal side to Brimsley with, with, with Queen Charlotte? And I think 
talking about that moment in the corridor when she falters and is upset and he puts his hand out, I think that moment is the foundation of who they are and who they become, uh, particularly in the versions of of, of the older Queen and, uh, and the old Brimsley. Um, but I think for seeing the more personal side of him, that absolutely, the, the truth of that lives within his moments with, with Reynolds. Um, you know, the the emotional support system that that relationship provides both of them um, is so vital to, uh, I mean, I think their, their, their mental health, they're two very young men that live very isolated lives. You know, their duty is, and their prerogative in life is to serve the king and to serve the queen. And that's kind of all they've got other than each other. So I think trying to find more of the humanity of him, the personal side to him and who he is, lives in in the moments with 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 Freddie or with Reynolds um and like I said we would always in the scenes with with, with the Queen try and push the boundaries of okay when can when can we see a slightly more personal side to him how 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 bold can he be in this moment to try and support her um you know he has been given this opportunity that he's been waiting for all his life to serve um a king or a queen he knows the job inside out. And all of a sudden he has this young woman that's being married off to the King of England and understandably doesn't really know how to hold herself in this position. So he has to maneuver everything he knows to serve her the best way he can. Um, and I think that was one of the most enjoyable parts of the job without, without a doubt is finding the moments of uh, the more human side to him with her. Um, because it's very, very bold for him in, in their moments, yeah. And and speaking of Reynolds, with you, Freddie, there's such a sweet protectiveness that he has over George, um, but I feel like it, there's also such an opportunity in the way that you've played him to see the weight of what it means to hold so much inside of himself in doing so, and even just the fact that in his relationship with Brimsley, he doesn't even reveal secrets to him in his most private moments. He really still holds on to so much. Um, and so for you, how did you find that that balance and that space of what does it look like to be so protective and so in service of someone and to have to hold so many elements of everything that's happening throughout your day and this dynamic and this relationship and friendship that builds between them within yourself and not have anyone that you can share it with, even with your partner? Well, yeah, I think that that, that conflict that you've just laid out was my favorite um, element of, of Reynolds's arc because, uh, you know, he, he loves both George in very different ways, but he loves George and Brimsley sort of, I would say almost equal amounts. And that he, he faces that dilemma of, I think the way I tried to play it at least was that he desperately wanted and in many ways needed to share um you know, to, to, to share his issues with Brimsley. He needed a shoulder to cry on um, as such. But such was his loyalty to George that he he couldn't do that. In, in my mind, uh, George and Reynolds are, you know, of course, Reynolds is the king's man, but they are best friends. They have grown up together and there is a sort of an unspoken bond. They understand each other better than, than I think anyone else does uh, in my mind. But Reynolds has also fallen deeply in love with Brimsley and therefore not, I think for a lot of the series, he is, he is desperate to to share that information with Brimsley. And the moment that he sort of finally does, I think things all fall into place for, for Reynolds. And then that affords those opportunities as an actor to be 
to be more human and more vulnerable, which uh, I think we see later on in, in the series. Um, but yeah, that, that, that was absolutely my favorite, favorite element of playing Reynolds was, was managing the, the conflicting love between that he had for George and for Brinsley. Yeah, it's really beautiful to watch. And, and, and Tom and Betsy, for the two of you, I wanted to ask you about the importance and the art of creating so much subtext in the world of a show like this. And, you know, in both Bridgerton and in this series, anytime there's a line of dialogue being spoken, there's an entirely different discussion that's happening underneath. Um, and it's it's so part of what makes it so rich and and so fascinating to watch whenever any characters are in discourse with each other. Um, and so in terms of the the development of a show like that and directing a show like that and really having to look at the breakdown of every scene in such a granular way, I was just interested in in what some of the challenges are and how you both approach that. That's you and go. Yeah, I mean, it, some of that obviously is you know Tom directing, but I think. I think what's what's amazing to me about this writing, because, you know, I produced the show and I love it and I'm its big fan. But what's amazing to me about the writing is that um, both in Bridgerton and in this show is so much of the subtext is allowed because of the period that we're working in. So very often when you do a show nowadays, um, people are more likely to say what they think they mean and be incredibly honest about what they think they mean. But given that we're talking about you know, two different periods of England many years ago. And Sean and I've talked about this a lot where essentially there are rules about everything. There are rules about everything. Um, you have very little free will. And one of the things we've dug in a lot and we've been very interested in across the board here is the concept of how much free will you have, what you can express, what your duties and jobs are. Um, and this whole sort of play between do duty and sacrifice. And I think what's wonderful about the way that this is played and written and Tom beautifully brings to screen with these incredible performers is it's all about what's not being said. And very often it's all about what's not being said because you can't say it. So I think Brimsley and Reynolds are a beautiful example of they, they love each other and they have love and they find their agency and their love, but their duty keeps them from being able to, to truly be with somebody. You know, Queen Charlotte, as you get to know her, you start to realize that she she ha she has to learn how to become this queen and she has this duty that she has to this country but it all stems out of the love that she has for this man that she realizes in order to be with this man and stay with this man she you know as george says at one point you get half half a man half a king i think i'm probably quoting that and butchering it i'm really sorry but i i think the, the whole idea of it's the space between the lines, which is so beautifully played here, but also is so much what this show is about, which is all of those things clashing and bumping up against each other. And, and I think we watch it in a modern context and realize we're all still bound by so many of the same things, you know, it's, so that's a long-winded way of saying, from my point of view, um, what they all do so incredibly, what Shonda wrote so beautifully, was the space to feel, but not act. And I think what Tom brings to the forefront too, in terms of your work, Tom, is, is giving the actors the space to get to the place where they sometimes have to say the thing they don't wanna say, or feel like they can't be in the position that they wanna be in. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? 
Very cool. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say uh, you hit it right on the head, Betsy. It, it's really that 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 con that inner conflict of duty and personal. Um, going beyond that, you know, you get it's, it's Shonda's writing, which drives into what you think it's going, and then suddenly she flips it in a way that comes out in the dialogue. And if the actors commit to the to driving into that, it really pays off in a way that becomes hopefully unexpected and spontaneous. I think um, you know, there's moments in this series. And it's because it was just such a, a overflowing gift from these actors right here that we explored and we played in some moments. There's there's five minutes of screen time with not a, a, a line of dialogue, um, and there happened. There's points of that that we we explored. And and Shonda writes something like, you know, the the wedding ceremony. They exchange vows. We don't hear any of it, and and says that. But then we kind of build on that. And I think my experience as an actor is really. Uh, I, I come in and I want to explore what is what is really happening on the foundation of these two people who are thrust together, who just had a real connection, and it's suddenly in in a very kind of public stage, you know, exchanging vows in a way, and and you know, and then you put in Chris Bowers with his music scoring, and you just fall. I mean, you fall, and and, and you're just riveted by that. So my job is to sort of, you know in post when we have all this beautiful performances and you know Betsy Sean and I were all like wow this is I think we're so conditioned like this is really long got to trim this and like we don't want to trim any of this because it's all work and there's so much that these no, it, subtext that these actors bring in in these moments and finding and and a, a nuance and and it happens throughout at every every episode there's a look you know, someone's we have reactions on someone and we're seeing them reacting to something. So and it's just absolutely beautiful to to see that fulfillment come through um, and, and what's what's happening behind the eyes uh, of what that particular character is going through and what it means to them. Oh, and I mean, just to speak to what you said, Tom, the hardest thing we're we're not we're not shy about keeping things intact when we think they work and. You know, I think we have long episodes traditionally of things and people are like, oh, your episodes seem longer. It, there's a reason for that, you know, because it's something like, as you stated, Tom, and like a couple of these sequences, which I mean, everything's so beautifully directed, but there are a couple of these sequences where logically and rationally you'd say, nothing's really happening, but everything's happening. Like every single thing is happening. And I don't know, it's... It's um, you mentioned Chris Bowers, too, but I think one of the processes and look, we've worked with Chris now on three shows. I think. What is it, Tom? Three yeah, or four, three shows. Three or four. Um, and the, the the sound, I mean, the ability he has to capture and you figure he does the score of Bridgerton. So there's there's a familial connection. You can see the sort of thread. There's never a feeling that this is an entirely isolated show. It's a show that emerged as you know, a, a pre-story for something that existed, but he speaks in, in themes and in character and in creating a world that not only, I think, plays the character's points of view, but also plays the circumstance. And there are these little hints in his music of where some of these people come from and how they have had to sort of suppress that at points. And then over the course of the episodes, you start to hear more of that theme come out. So it's just, it's a little like shout out to say, we have all of this with amazing editors and then this incredible icing on the cake, of course, the 
you know, the Black Queens are performing as well throughout. Um, but this incredible work by Chris Bowers, who's just, you know, who introduced me to Chevalier. I didn't know who Chevalier was. And he came and he said, there is this composer. And we'd sort of done a deep dive on, you know, there are all these unacknowledged composers, Black composers during this period of time. Now I'm just tapping because I start to get pissed. And <laughs> But the great thing about when people are discovered is when you discover them, it's so amazing. I'll shut up. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I love all of those rich details and, and off the off the back of what Betsy was describing in that space of always kind of existing between duty and the personal for, for any of the cast that want to jump in on this. Um, you know, I just wanted to ask about the experience of the richness that you really find in having a space where there's so much on the page and then there's so much richness to the layers and the subtext of everything that you're given on the page as well to really play around with and discover and break down for yourselves as you're looking at your character in every individual scene. Well, I think, you know, that that kind of, I can speak to the moments of silence, definitely for Brimsley and the Queen, in, in, especially in Bridgerton, where Brimsley doesn't really say much, you know, but Hugh and I definitely worked on the relationship that we have that is unspoken in those moments. So, you know, you may not see it on screen, but I will look at him at a certain time and we will have a dialogue together. And it just enriched for us our journey through Bridgerton. It is wonderful in Queen Charlotte to now have the voice of Brimsley in there and for us to really show that intimate, dedicated friendship, lifelong friendship that we've had, that you know the fans can kind of go, oh, that's what's going on. That's who they are. Um, so yeah, the silence for us as two characters is really important and it's so loaded. You may not see it, but it's so loaded for us to uh, to drive that storytelling. I love that. And, and, and then lastly, India, Corey and Golda, I wanted to ask you just about filming the, the those final moments at the end of the last episode because it's so stunningly performed and again it is that those moments where it's just the two of them laying under the bed and even in the moments where there's no words being exchanged it's absolutely heartbreaking and yet you see and feel all of the love between the two of them um, and so I just wanted to ask about the experience of really finding so much of the emotion because even when you look at your performances they're so still and so contained in terms of the physical space and yet it's the most emotionally combustive moment of the entire series yeah it was it was um as an actor to to be on that set and and to see Golda and um James Fleet plays older King George or Regency era King George should I say um to to see kind of the the transition from where myself and Corey had created this this connection and then to see it kind of happening years on was so otherworldly and completely out of body um not only were we watching them like you know and looking at their craft and them as actors and how they have turned this script and, and their own ideas um about how it should be you know formed basically at the end was so loaded with time and history and consideration that 
I'll, you know, my a girl like this, because I'm like, Corey's to my left right here, but people probably won't be able to see that. But our Queen um, George, uh, Queen George? Wow. King George. Uh, uh, there we go. Queen be- George, yeah. Queen George and King Charles. I love it. <laughs> there you go. We finally um, figured that out. Yeah. That's what we were missing. But yeah, it, it was just beautiful. Um, and it made me kind of go, a okay, careful, like we've done a good job in, in giving these characters their foundations. Um, and um, it was it was very all-encompassing. Um, and yeah, w- watching it as well back was the moment where I was like, oh, guys, you got me. I was I was um I was a bit of a wreck. Um but I think it was also a lot of nostalgia for the show. Um and just filming it and thinking back to what a wonderful time we had and um you know sitting in these characters and really loving these people that we'd we'd created. It was um it's it's a very, very special scene for a lot of reasons. And it's all Tom Verica. It's all Tom Verica. No, it was that, no. that's that scene. If if I if my memory serves me right, is is a Charlotte, older Charlotte and George's scene, right? Yeah. And Tom was like, "I'm going to get India and Corey to learn that scene as well." Yeah. And it's his entire vision of bringing us four together to create that last moment, mm-hmm. and. It was so moving and so interesting and so full of play for the four of us. I mean, literally, James and I are under a bed and then you get this little shout from the other room. Get India, uh, Golda, you come out, India, you go in. And like, you know, I'm shuffling out the bed. India's shuffling back in the bed. And then they do, you know, James and India are doing the scene together. And it was just... uh, really beautiful amazing moment i think for all of us as actors working mm. with an incredible director who just has the most amazing incredible mind and vision for this show you know um and it was a true honor and privilege to to film that it, it, it I, can, I can just speak to that because it was i mean thank you gold but it, it is the the performance you brought the the world Everything is on your shoulders. The journey that we've been following with young Charlotte and as India said, seeing that and trying to bridge that was uh, was surreal and, and it was magical. I think we all felt that in the moment. But I remember, you know, Shonda wrote in there that we see flashes of younger George and younger Charlotte. Yeah, okay. we, weren't really quite, we kind of talked about what that meant and what that was. So that gave the spark. And then I pulled uh, India and Corey aside and said, guys, I want you to learn the scene. I said, I want um I'm going to have you do it together, but I also am going to, I'm going to interchange and, and it might be weird. It might be yeah. kind of, you're suddenly with the older version. I said, but it's really going to put us in the world of, of what each character is seeing in the other when they're saying particular lines. And some of them we knew, I, I knew that it wouldn't probably work and be right, but, but that continuity of having you be in there, the moments that land are frigging powerful and yeah. uh, it's a testament to, to you, you, you guys really kind of going along for that ride, and I think that sort of um, that leaping uh, uh, into that is really what what gave that scene that that is just absolutely powerful. And I remember my first watch in in the the editor's cut, and I was I was sitting in my office and I was destroyed. I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> oh, it's, it was it was it's one of the most. I mean, people can tell you like I'm I've seen a lot of stuff and. I'm not an easy crier. And every single time I watch that, which has been a lot, I cry because somehow or another, this entire journey is worth it. You yeah. know, it's what what you say, 
with these incredible performances and the way you staged it is you you get through it and there's so much there's so much there's so much you take in over the course of the six episodes and there's so much pain and there's also joy and you know fun but it's all worth it and it makes it it makes it relatable because it's two people under a bed you know it's yeah, yeah. it's like what could be simpler than that but it's That's Shonda Rhimes too I mean under a bed yeah. it was like it, it certainly posed technical it, challenges it, it, it turns like, out she can write how are we gonna like these actors under a bed <laughs> But the timing of it as well, I think, was really, the filming, the timing filming of it was really interesting. I think if we'd filmed it right at the beginning, we wouldn't have all been at the same point in time. You know, I thought it was really great to have Corey and India have gone through that journey of filming these two characters to kind of come up to where where James and I were at, you know what I mean? So the four of us were like completely together and locked into mm -hmm. that scene because yeah, of the the timing of actually filming it. Well, and what I love that, um, you know, when Sean was talking about this, Betsy, you'll remember we're, there was a lot of discussion about, is there is it gonna be over, are we going over 10 years? Is there gonna be different Charlottes? And you really don't, you don't want that because we said where we finished with young Charlotte and young George, they're setting out on their journey and there is not much time. I mean, you know, where Golda's uh, Charlotte is right now, that commitment is there. We see that commitment happen early on and here they are. And there's, it's like time has not moved at all. And that, that commitment, and obviously he's, he spiraled and, and spun into a much, uh, much more, a difficult state, but that commitment to one another. And then when he opens back up again, it, they're right there. They're right where they were. And it's, that's the beauty of, of, uh, of the script. I will say like Betsy, I'm, I'm also not an easy cry and it absolutely floored me and got me at the end of, of that moment. And the whole season is so stunning and you've all done such incredible work on, on this. So congratulations. And thank you so much for, for talking about it and sharing all of this. Really appreciate your time today. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.